Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod and Rebels Talk Part 19. We are so close to finishing the Rebels Talk series, the after show, which has been leading us strong into Ahsoka on Disney Plus. And uh, yes, we apologize. We did not finish Rebels in time to uh, to meet the premiere for Ahsoka. But uh, but hey. <laughs> Oh, no, that's right. Uh, but hey, I mean, uh, you know, here we are and we're almost done. And uh, we hope you guys didn't have to wait too long to get the final couple episodes of Rebels. But uh, we're almost there. Uh, so today we are touching up on Rebels Season 4, Episode 9, Rebel Assault, Episode 10, Jedi Knight, Episode 11, Doom, Episode 12, Wolves in the Door, and Episode 13, A World Between Worlds. With us, we got our co-host, Blake. Let's get into it. Another happy landing. All right, here we go. Rebels Talk Part 19. Welcome back, Blake. Hello there. Good to be here. By the time this episode drops, Ahsoka Season 1 Episode 4 will have hit Disney+. Plus, and we are Four? anxiously awaiting the fifth episode in Season 1. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like Episode 4 just came out. Yeah. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Which is was funny because as we were just doing the intro there, talking about how we were, were late. But the timing kind of worked out a little bit because yeah, a little bit. Yeah. this episode we're actually going to be talking about the world between worlds, which also was just in the Ahsoka episode that just dropped and will be leading directly into episode five. That's true. That's a good point. I was actually, it was literally crossed my mind the other day when I was watching the episode. I was like, oh, you know, ironically enough, like we are going to be talking about this more kind of in depth on Rebels Talk like mm-hmm. very, very soon. So, uh, so it's good to, you know, get around to this and, you know, kind of get it, get it off our chest. So uh, here we go. Uh, for those of you who are new to Star Wars Escape Pod, uh, welcome to the podcast. I mean, we've been doing this for just over four years now, and uh, we've got a, a number of sub-series under our belts. We've done commentaries. We've done reviews for books, games. We uh, talk about the latest stuff on Disney+. Plus. We sat through the Star Wars Christmas special, so you don't have to. The holiday special, that's right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, re- recently in, in the spirit of... of heading straight into Ahsoka, we've been going through Star Wars Rebels and uh, we've created an after show for Star Wars Rebels. So this is, we're at the tail end of the show uh, and uh, in the next Rebels talk, which will be part 20, we'll uh, cap off with the finale episodes to season four of Star Wars Rebels. So there's four seasons of Star Wars Rebels and if you haven't seen Star Wars Rebels and you're listening to this podcast episode, spoilers ahead. And uh, just forward, you can see what episodes we are talking about today by looking at the podcast description 
scrolling down, hitting expand, whatever you got to do uh, in the podcast description. We have the uh, a list of episodes that we will be talking about uh, the season ID and the title. So uh, today is uh, Rebel Assault, Jedi Knight, Doom, Wolves in a Door, and A World Between Worlds. It's the first time we're nailing out five in a row. Uh, this is season four, episode nine through 13. And uh, we're just going to dive right in because we got no time to waste here. So uh, let's just get right to it. Season four, episode nine, Rebel Assault. This aired on Disney XD November 13th, 2017. It was directed by Stuart Lee and Dave Filoni and Stephen Melching were the writers. Guest stars Anna Graves, Zachary Gordon, Warwick Davis and Mario Vernaza. Uh, That's Warwick Davis who played uh, Rook. I just love the idea of Warwick just doing all these sniffing noises into the mic. I just think it'd be so funny. Yeah. Because he's, he's definitely a character actor. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to read the summary for this episode so we all know what we're talking about. For those of you who have seen the show and you're tuning into Rebels Talk, um, you know, this way you get a bit of a refresher. And uh, for those of you who have kind of just never seen Star Wars Rebels at all, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of, you know, it's just going to be good to hear what this episode was about and uh for those of you who have actually been with us the whole way through watching star wars rebels and then tuning into the podcast it's an incredible amount of work so you know we appreciate all the time that you know you've enjoyed listening to us talk about it because you know we've enjoyed doing it right don't know why but thanks for being here <laughs> the next stop resistance uh no man, i don't know <laughs> all right hira and uh Hera and her assault team arrive at Lothal and begin to battle their way past the Imperial blockade. While the ghost crew on the ground sabotage the anti-aircraft batteries to allow an unhindered attack on the TIE factory at Lothal's capital. However, with Thrawn coordinating the Imperial defenses, the rebel attack force is annihilated. With only a few survivors, Hera, Chopper, and the pilot Mart Matten? That's what you have written down. Yeah. Managing uh, to reach the surface and regroup safely... As Hera's group attempts to slip out of the city under constant assailing by Rukh, uh, Kanan returns to the capital to look for her, only to be stopped by a Lothwolf. And he asks it what he should do. Hera opens an escape route but is captured by Rukh, and before she can use it, Mart and Chopper are then picked up by Kanan and brought to the Rebels' hideout as the Lothwolf watches. Uh, this is the first episode set in zero BBY. This is the first episode of Star Wars Rebels that takes place in the same year as Rogue One and A New Hope. Uh, this is also the last episode to air before the release of The, the Last Jedi, which was Star Wars Episode Eight. Um, interesting episode. Let's take a listen to the Rebels Recon and then we'll dive right into the notes. Uh, Rebels Recon, for those of you who don't know, is just a, a bit of an after show that StarWars.com once put together as Rebels was kind of airing on uh, Disney XD. And uh, it was really kind of useful at the time. You know, it was just like we had our host, Andy Gutierrez, uh, kindly kind of interviewing Dave Filoni and all the other like writers of, uh, of the episode and so on and so forth. Um, the only reason why I'm explaining that now is just for anyone new dropping in catching the last couple episodes of Star Wars Rebels because a lot of these episodes have a lot to do with Ahsoka. So I don't know if maybe some of you out there actually have kind of skipped to the end and, and uh, you know, not that I condone that, but you, know. <laughs> you do what you do. Uh, okay, here we go. Here's Rebels Recon. Return 
in Rebel Assault, but I've got to ask, where's the rest of the Iron Squadron? Where's Goody? So Johnner? We had a discussion about this, a serious discussion about this, and Lieutenant Terrace. Oh, okay, cool. You, you okay, all right? Okay. She actually was probably the brains of them. She's the most reasonable one. She knows what's going on. Mars a hothead who has something to prove. Johnner just wants space pancakes, let's face it. They're back at Yavin. Just chilling? Yeah, going over very important Rebel plans. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, too, if we'd put them in other planes, they'd have been shot down and might not have made it through because of character count issues. X-Wings make their first appearance in this episode. Mm -hmm. Where have they been? For the longest time, the idea was that the X-Wings were going to be a version of the clone fighters that were going to be ending the Clone Wars because we saw their ARC 170s. We saw stuff that was pointing in the direction that the X-Wing was going to come had the Clone Wars continued, but they ended and then the Empire was in power. There actually was a little bit of thinking to the X-Wings because we did start with that geometry, that mesh, but then because we had changed the TIE Fighters to sort of have that more 70s toy vibe, the question came up, well, should our X-Wings be exactly the X-Wings that you see in the movies, or would it be better if we just tweak them a little bit so that they flow with everything we've seen before? So we did tweak it. It's a sort of a two-step thing where you look at what it really looked like, then you figure out how can you slightly play with those proportions to have it feel like it fits into Rebels, and then from there you have to figure out strategically which bits of all that sort of detail to take off to simplify it down. It's another one of these things that you can't stray too far from. Even when you see the X-Wings in F7, you're still like, they're different, but it's still the same thing. You have to still present it in a way that everyone's going to recognize it immediately. Right. It was so cool to animate X-Wings. It's like a dream come true. It's like you grow up with it and you see the trench run and everything and you're like, finally. I think the biggest thing X-Wings will do is a lot more of the spins and things. So we have a lot more of those barrel rolls. They also have obviously the wings that can open and close and stuff depending on what they're doing. But I think also their cockpits. We went right back to the originals and looked at all that stuff about how much sort of movement there was in the cockpit and tried to kind of emulate that. So there's a lot more sort of a herky-jerky kind of feel, which I think just kind of throws it back, which is pretty cool. It still has this feeling of, yes, I've been waiting for this, and now to have Hera in it makes it even better. If they had just shown up and it was somebody else flying it, that'd have been okay, maybe Goody. But when it's Hera, I think everybody was excited, and I think it's the right way to do it. Hera pulls some impressive moves in her X-Wing. Who's a better pilot, her or Poe? Oh, man. Oh boy. Oscar Isaac, please turn off this video. Don't don't look at this. Hera. Yeah. Hera's better. In my opinion, Hera has more experience than Poe. Hera has been flying a transport with the skill of a fighter pilot and beating multiple fighters. It's probably because I know more about what she does and what she's done, and I've seen her pilot in some pretty amazing things, so I'm gonna have to go with Hera. I think she's just talented. I think she's gifted. She works hard, of course, and trains, but she loves flying. It's when she feels the most like herself. And I think in life, one of the goals is you have to figure out what you love to do and then go after that. And so she did. And she would love flying whether she's a fighter pilot or just flying. So I think that's kind of at the core of who she is. Not only is Hera flying an X-Wing, but she's leading a whole X-Wing squadron. What is it about Hera that you think makes her the right person for this role? There's something innately fearless about her. When she's doing something for the right reasons, she knows no fear. Her ability to fly so well and remain so focused I think gives her that ability to sort of bark out directions and help save 
everyone's lives. And I think some people are just born with that innate ability and she is a pilot through and through. I don't think anyone's better qualified. She was born to fly. On his way to rescue Hera, Kanan is stopped by a white loath wolf and mm. seems to understand its purpose. Can you give us any hints as to what this means before your hiatus? You start to get an understanding that Kanan is learning about what these wolves are and how they relate to him. The hero sometimes just needs a bit of a guide or a way to focus his thoughts and understanding, and that's what the wolves are doing. So he already knows the truth of what's going on in his life and what he needs to do to be the person he's meant to be. Guides can only get you so far, and then you have to take action. You have to own the action. So there's a bit of all that going on. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all their bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm, I'm free. free. <laughs> Josh, that's a wrong clip. Well, I thought we were talking about Hera. I thought we were talking about Hera. What, 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 what? <laughs> Hera's been hitting the gym. She sounds ripped. <laughs> Oh man, I um, I always get a kick out of like the similarities between Fast and Furious and Star Wars. I don't know why I see so many. I just see them all over the place. They're just they're too passionate. They're just Josh. always there. Um, okay, cool. Well, that was that was cool to listen to. I like how they pointed out the fact that uh, Rebels has a very unique art style. They had to kind of tailor all the ships and the characters to it. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's a different type of X-wing, unlike the Force Awakens, where they actually are a different X-wing. They're a different model. T seventy, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the is it T seventy? Something seventy. Yeah, yeah, it's like T something. Like they pretty sure it's seventy. They do a uh, yeah T T. I, I type I type up T seventy. You get a picture of the tank. <laughs> oh, I don't want that T seventy X-wing. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, T seventy X-wing. There you go. It's cool. Um, so cool. Yeah, very cool to see that. Uh, we get our first. X-Wing, Y-Wing, TIE Fighter clash in the entire series in this episode. I feel bad because I didn't even notice. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I, it, it's true, though. I mean, like, we went, like, back in the day, I mean, when this was Star Wars Rebels coming out, right? You know, we're expecting this is going to be, like, Rebels Empire, but, like, no. It's like, we had most of the focus on the crew of the Ghost, and mm -hmm. we didn't really get to see a whole lot of this X-Wing kind of TIE Fighter action, but this is really... The first time this is starting to happen, and um, and in the series they've been using only A wings, right? And one B wing, exactly. Up to this point. Exactly, yeah. The A, the A and B, so the X and Ys have come in, and it was cool. It was cool to watch, and I remember watching this episode for the first time when it came out back back then, because you know this is a this is a rewatch podcast. Uh, but it, you know, I just thought to myself back then, I'm like, that's like about time <laughs> was it series weird, is almost done finally it's funny because yeah. i didn't realize that it's the first time we saw the x-wing but i did write down why is Hera in an x-wing as one of my notes instead of the ghost that's a good point i don't know i mean was I it guess... just because there's x-wings that are like oh but Hera in one uh, or is there a reason why the ghost is still back on yamit i don't really know i don't really know maybe it was just a maybe it's just more nimble and that's a good question i don't know to serve the purpose of the story better, I guess. I don't she know. She loves her ship. She feels at home in her ship. Yeah. Because she needs to crash land. Yeah. I'm Maybe that's why. Because no she needs to get stranded. Yes. I bet you that's it. They needed an excuse why she crashes. Or to crash into that. the city. Yeah. yeah, they didn't want it to yeah. be the ghost. That's, that's right. Uh, Thrawn gets duped by Hera's skills. Uh, so there was that. 
With a Z. Yeah. That was uh first for him, I guess. You know. <laughs> Hera's smart. I mean Hera's um I mean, well mind you, it was kind of partly the f- the fault of that other guy, right? Like the the stupid imperial. He didn't officer. listen. He was yeah, supposed he to stay listen. back, but yeah, then so. he he wanted credit in part of the fight, so he yeah, didn't follow orders and right. went into into battle. Yeah, otherwise he probably would have won. It's usually it seems like that often is the case, especially with Thrawn, mm-hmm. where he when he loses a battle, it's usually not his fault. It's because yeah. other people aren't fault. doing what they're supposed to. Somebody else being an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Um, sounds like he needs a ten second car. <laughs> For those ten seconds or less. I'm free. Ten second Star Destroyer. Needs a stress reliever. Uh, we got Kanan and the Wolves again. Um, <laughs> just, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just like, you know, we've had a lot of the Wolves, right? It's been a lot but of Wolves this season. It's been a I lot agree. of Wolves. But, I mean, we got the we got more Wolves and to the point where it's like, okay, now they're showing up on the middle of the street and, you know, pulling them over kind of thing. It's like, there's something really mystical about these Wolves. And uh, Why didn't they show up in season one? Have they been here the whole time? For being gone for a hundred years, they sure show up a lot. Hundreds, hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah, they do show up a lot for something that's been extinct for a while. But uh, yeah, I think you know. It, it, overall, it was a pretty good episode. I can't say it was like one of the best of the best, but it was uh, it was it was a necessary kind of mid cha- mid chapter to set up. It's a setup for the next episode. Yeah, it's that's a setup the for the next. Episode. Totally, totally. So we don't want to linger on it. But um, I don't know if you got anything to bring up on this one or it was interesting. This episode. Didn't have a whole lot going on, so I didn't have barely any notes. Yeah. So other than Hera, I was wondering why she was an X-Men. The only thing I wrote down other than that is, so we're now at zero BBY. Mm-hmm. And in this show, we are still using the ATSTs that are like the old ones, kind of Clone Wars looking. We're not using the ones that we see in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, you're talking about the ones that we saw or in Andor. season one, right? Andor also has, does it? Oh, was it called an eight? An eight? Was it called an APDP or A-T-P-T something? APPT maybe. AT, it's like DP something or another. APDP. Josh, that's Disney Plus. <laughs> uh, Star Wars. I'm just like I got. I got a note. I got a note. Uh, All terrain defense pod. ATDP. So I want to know why we don't have proper ATSTs at this point if we're so close to the original trilogy. I don't really know. Um, it does. Yeah. It, I mean, let's be honest. The reason is they didn't want to make a new model, but it doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, I, I guess. Okay, here's, here's an advantage to using these ones, though. Is they are smaller mm-hmm. and more nimble, so so they can go through city streets a lot easier. So I, I part of the reason I think for us seeing well, and or again, maybe I'm wrong. We're, we're not they, Andor? these ones were the ones yeah. that they said in one of the rebels talks once upon a time. I think didn't didn't they say something about how this was based on like the old the, the chicken walker that we see in the Empire, like kind of in the far background at one point that you only see in that one shot and then never again. Oh, that sounds right. I, th- I feel like there was something about this particular walker, which was based on that design. Roll the clip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but anyway, th- if I were to throw like a Pablo style answer out there, I would suggest, you know, eh, it's smaller, more nimble, you know, it can get through the city a bit easier. It's That's probably weird. why we see it a lot. My only issue is, again, we didn't see an ATSD a single time in this series. That is true. That's at really least, weird. I think we haven't seen it at all. Yeah. The closest we've come is an ATST strapped with that big, huge weapon that Sabine made. That's called, right. Called the Duchess. Was yeah. that an ST or was that a DP? Uh, I can't remember. I feel like it was an ATST, but it could have been a DP. It's got to be so confusing. Uh, no. to. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's move on here. Um, I got um, Pablo points of Pudus for this one. Uh, you know, how's it work? Pablo points of Pudu system. Uh, this is our rating system on the podcast. We got a score out of seven. Three Pablo Pudus is the worst of the worst of the worst. Moving up from there, you got two Pablo Pudus, one Pablo Pudu, and then a Bendu. Bendu is a 50% score. And then we got Pablo points. We got one Pablo point, two Pablo points, and three Pablo points, which is preserved for the best of the best of the best. So what do you, sir, have to grant this episode? For Pablo somethings. <laughs> What's Pablo going to do to this episode? What's Pablo going to do? Oh, no. What's this Pablo episode, gonna... like, it's it's essential. And I really I really love this season, what we've seen so far. It's yep. very exciting. And the stakes were high in this episode, but mm-hmm. not a lot happened. Right. So, I see it as a... It's like the cliffhanger episode before you get, like, the big story point, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Which we'll get into. So I'd have to say... Hmm, it's tough. I'm going to say I'll give it a one Pablo point. Because I, I would still rather watch this than something in, say, season one. But the I don't this this episode wouldn't get me excited to rewatch it. Yeah, yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. Um, I'd probably give it uh, 1.5. Um, you know, I just... I, the, 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 the Seeing Hera go down for the for one of the first times ever was kind of new and interesting. And Crash land, you mean? Yeah, and like, uh, you know, I sounded not excited when I said Lothwolf, but I actually am. <laughs> I, 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 it's, Dave's uh, Wolves again? Uh, Dave's Wolves again. I uh, know, it was cool. Like, I like I like the Lothwolves, so we got more of that. And, um, you know, we're getting... Like some X-wing action, finally. Like, that's true. That's kind of cool. So I, I gotta give that a bit more. Um, and they're the same ones that we see in A New Hope, right? The red ones. Yeah, from this, the Hobbit. This is also an important as uh, episode for for Canon because he really starts to go on his his uh, kind of like a revelation as to sort of what he needs to do in order for for the rebels to win on Lothal, right? And this is kind of the beginning of a means to an end for him. Um, and when they first started seeing all the wolves, you know, like I think he kind of came to a realization back then, even when they came back to Lothal, right? He had this feeling that I think him and Ezra both like we there's a there's a larger purpose for us here than we realized, and uh, that's sort of coming to fruition now. So what you're saying is we're zero BBY, and Luke's gonna be here, so. Kanan and Ezra, they got to skedaddle. They got to get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, so next episode's up. We have um, we have season four, episode 
10 and episode 11. We're going to combine these two into a two-parter, uh, as uh, Rebels Talk on StarWars.com has also done. So I'm going to read the same stuff I did before, including the summaries for both episodes, and then we can go through them as one. So starting with season four, episode 10, Jedi Knight. This episode aired February 19th, 2018, and was directed by Saul Ruiz and written by Dave Filoni, Henry Gilroy, guest stars Warwick Davis. And the other episode, season four, episode 11, called Doom, aired the same day, February 19th, 2018, directed by Sergio Paz. Writers included Dave Filoni and Christopher Yost, guest stars Sam Witwer, and Warwick Davis. I'm going to read the summaries for both of these episodes, and then we can dive right into the Rebels Recon, and then we'll hit the notes. So, while Hera is being tortured by Governor Price, Ezra Kanan and Sabine prepare to extract her from the Imperial Cavity. With Admiral Thrawn absent on Coruscant, they infiltrate the Lothalian Imperial Command Center using gliders they've built to look like Loth bats. And as Ezra and Sabine secure a gunship as an escape craft, Kanan recovers Hera's Kalikori, an important family heirloom that was taken by Thrawn earlier in the series, and frees Hera before she, under the effect of the truth serum, can reveal the location of the rebel base. As they attempt to escape on one of the gliders, Kanan instructs Hera to land them inside Lothal's city fuel depot, just as Ezra and Sabine picks them up. Price orders her troops to open fire on the fuel tanks, causing an explosion. Caught on top of the tank, Kanan uses the force to control the explosion and push Hera and his friends away from the blast at the cost of his own life. And uh, Doom, the episode that follows, is here. With the destruction of the Imperial Fuel Depot and the resulting shutdown of the TIE Defender project, Governor Price decides to cover up her blunder by throwing a victory parade, but Thrawn is not deceived. While Sabine and Zeb depart for Lothal City to spoil that party, Ezra sinks into the despair until he is challenged by the Lothwolves and led toward a gigantic Lothwolf called Doom, who confronts him with his fears to tell him to return to the Lothal Jedi Temple. Meanwhile, after noticing that the Imperial TIE factory has been shut down, Sabine and Zeb encounter and engage in combat with Rook. After beating him unconscious, they send him <laughs> covered in Sabine's graffiti back to Lothal City to show that the rebels are still willing to fight. Hera overcomes her own grief by adding a token for Kanan to her Kalikori and by being told by Sabine and Zeb of how Kanan essentially fulfilled their goal by stopping the TIE Defender project, Ezra then informs his friends of their important mission to go to the Jedi Temple and recover its precious knowledge from the hands of the Imperials. Um, right before I pull up just kind of this thing here, dude, Kanan's gone, man. I know. Like I, every time I see it, I'm just like, wow. Like it's such a crazy moment in the series. You know what I mean? Yeah. No kidding. And it wasn't even a finale. It was a near finale. Yeah. We still got several episodes left after the loss of a major character. We're close to the end. Exactly. And, you know, it's just like every time it, this was the first episode that I think we opened up to like that, like, or maybe it ended off in that like white ash kind of like title look. It was crazy. It was like the first time that we saw like such a Because this came out before Clone Wars. No, like the, the Rebel, you know how every episode of Rebels like ends off in like the white kind of like, or like the, the orange 
like, you know, like the orange text and the star field behind it. Yeah. So this one was like black and white and it was like ash floating around and it was kind Mm -hmm. of dreary looking. And like, I was like, whoa, like that's a good time to, you know, separate from that big burn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's listen to Rebel. Rebel Could you imagine someone just (laughs) main character dies and (laughs) (laughs) probably the right call. Probably, probably, probably. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Saw Caden make the ultimate sacrifice to save his friends. I sat down with cast and crew to talk about the significance of this character coming to terms with his fate and how the loss of Caden affected them and the ghost crew. In a very dramatic scene, mm-hmm. Caden cuts his hair and shaves his beard. Mm-hmm. What does this moment symbolize for him? It's a commitment to the moment. It's also ceremonially him understanding that this is a transitional moment, that he is not going to be the same. So it's almost a purification. I think it was meant to sort of evoke what he looked like when he first met Hera. I think it was meant to sort of also evoke the feeling of a samurai going into battle and just stripping themselves of everything. He is aware of what's going to possibly happen. He is aware of the possibility of his death and in a way he has to understand that might be his role not to die but to be selfless to do things for other people even at the expense of yourself. Kanan is the first loss we've had in the original Ghost Crew. How do you feel as a creator to kill off such an important character. I'll be honest, it was really difficult. I have such a love for Kanan and the energy he brought to the show and ultimately the discussion was around what the journey of the character is, not necessarily selfishly what I want to have happen. (laughs) And so that makes it really difficult when you're in that position of needing to do what's best for the story versus what you personally want. It's the moment where you understand that the sacrifice of a character has a significant impact on the journey for all of the characters moving forward. Freddie from the very beginning had been talking to me about the need for his character to go. And I think a lot of people over the years, fans, I've heard them kind of just throw out there, well, he has to die. A lot of them think of it more in terms of, well, because Yoda says there are no other Jedi. But that's not why. He has to die as an example of how to be selfless, of how to become enlightened. It hit really hard with our actors. Filoni was very secretive about this plot point. When we went down to record this episode, none of the actors were aware this was going to happen. He removed the last two pages of the script. It came to the end of the record and Filoni took them aside. He opened up his notebook where he had the story panels for that last moment and he walked them through it and they were devastated. Kanan makes his heroic last stand. How do you think this affects Seb? Well, the same way it affects me. I've become so close to Freddy as Zeb has with Kanan. There's a brotherhood between them, and I think it's a horrible loss for him. And yet, I think Zeb's primary instinct is honor more than anything else. And I think the way that Kanan went out in such a heroic fashion, Zeb was probably proud of his brother going out that way, and I think that's what he'll carry with him. I think Hera, as calm and cool and collected as she is in general, this is one moment, I think, where you see her truly broken, shattered and incapable of computing what's the next move and how to face it alone. I think she knew how much he meant to her, but the fact that she will never see him again, she's just catatonic, and I don't think we've seen Hera like that ever. Once it became a reality, it really like washed over all of us as people as well. Like, oh, Freddy's kind of gone. We've been a close-knit group for a while now, so I think that just enhanced the acting and really helped everything, but yeah, it really affects Ezra. That's kind of everything to him. That's who he's been closest to, who he 
trusts more than himself, I'd say. Also, the way that Kanan did it was a huge learning experience for him. In the last moments of Kanan's life, he seems to regain his sight. What do you feel happened in that final moment? Clarity. It wasn't that they're actually seeing each other. It's just that everything connected. For how I perceive that moment is that everything's okay. When I was doing this scene, when I was staging it, and I was lining up these shots, and I was drawing them, and when I drew it, I could just see his eyes, and I was like, that's a moment where he could see her. And I thought in this moment, because he's in this point where he's just kind of energy, where he's about to die, when he's more one with everything he's ever been, he would have this clarity where things like physical sight just doesn't matter. And so I think it just really plays at that moment, that emotion. And though it's sad, and I do, if people wonder, feel bad, you just have to trust me. <laughs> There's no other way to look at it. You just have to trust me. Losing Kanan was a huge blow to the Rebels. In what way does each member of the Ghost crew deal with the loss of their friend? We show a lot of that on screen. We realize that the audience is going to need time to mourn Kanan, just like our crew does. There's lots of shades of mourning, and it'll be interesting to see what the audience connects to and who they recognize. My favorite, honestly, has got to be Chopper's reaction. You realize that Chopper, for all the pain that he causes does have a heart. Zeb and Sabine kind of deal with it in more of an anger sense. They want to take action and they want to lash out. Hera, I think, feels completely lost because in the back of her mind, she's always had this balance point of Kanan there and now he's gone and she feels responsible because of what she got him roped into with this rebel alliance. She's dealing with the guilt of it. And for Ezra, he succumbs again to his fear. He starts to think that his powers and his ability to be brave were somehow wrapped up in Canaan. He's being almost self-pitying. He's making it all about himself and woe is me. I think it's really important that they're reflecting upon the loss of Canaan in terms of what it is they're fighting for. I think it helps them align their own values and I think in the face of such tremendous loss, really evaluate what it is they're looking to accomplish and resolve themselves to really understand that what they're doing has meaning and in order for Canaan's sacrifice to not be in vain, they have to not only recommit to this cause, but they have to see it through to the end. Jedi have the ability to turn the tide, to make a significant moment, to give hope where there's none. That's their ultimate role, to be this example of selflessness. And that's what makes them a hero when no one else can match that heroic thing. And then our job is to emulate that, to use that example and further our own lives. Wow, that was, you know, that's, that's a good Rebels talk. Dang. That's a good Rebels talk. I mean, the loss of Kanan in this series is such a profound one. Um, you know, going from the novel, he was, he was like one of the first Jedi survivors that we kind of learned of when we mm -hmm. entered this whole Disney era yep. of like Star Wars content, new books, rewriting history sort of thing. And, you know, saying goodbye to that character was like difficult. Like I was, I was quite bitter at first with this series, like going from the beginning of the you know season one and then moving moving up through season four but then by the time this kind of season came around i think i'd lost a lot of my initial Your bitterness bitterness towards mm -hmm. the show and and i started to kind of uh really caring about these characters and so so to say goodbye to canon was like i knew it needed to happen but uh, it was it was like it was dip more difficult than i thought it was going to be so like every time i see the episode i'm like wow like that's good star wars storytelling like Extremely really well done. Yeah. It's definitely Dave Filoni at his best. Oh, for sure. For sure. And the fact that he hid it from the cast and crew up until, like, who said, like, 
up until the, I think they got to that point of the script, basically. Yeah, to the recording session. Like, showed them the story panels and, like, well. So, this is an audio format, so people weren't able to watch the video with us. But you can see Freddie Prince Jr. is, like, mourning his character because he had no idea yeah. until the recording of the episode. He's like, oh. He's got his head, in, head, his head is in his hands and he's, like, kind of bending over a little bit just like sitting down just trying to really absorb like oh my goodness this is it the moments come yeah i mean he must have had some idea just considering you know we're leading into a new hope canaan's not there but maybe he's thinking he'll be sent off Mm -hmm. and be able to come back some point yeah well like like ezra right exactly yeah yeah. so um, just a little bit deeper in that i don't know the actual reason or if it's true but I've heard that there's a bitterness between Freddie Prince Jr. and Star Wars. And I wonder if it's because of this moment or there's something else. I don't really know. I, I, I know that I know that there are a lot of videos out there where he's kind of spoken about Star Wars in a way that definitely gives you the idea that he's not coming back. Mm-hmm. I don't think it has anything to do with like professionally or anything like that. Like, I think it's it must just be his feelings on like how, how you know the stories kind of go forward, right? But may, maybe, maybe he, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he did feel very strongly about the movies that were coming out at the time, and you know, probably just didn't. You feel don't think like, it's related to Rebels? Because well, I was almost wondering after seeing him in this clip if it was related to that. No, I don't. Well, he did do a little voiceover, I think, right? A little bit for Episode Nine. I'm not was, sure. That was about it. Oh, for when Ray is knocked out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you did do something for that, I think, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, this is a huge loss for Ezra. As oh well. yeah. Like the Ezra. Whole crew. But yeah, especially the, Ezra. The whole crew. Yeah, but like Ezra. This is a guy who you know he was just getting used to the idea that his parents were not coming back, and then this guy takes him in, and trains him to be a Jedi and gives him a new life essentially right uh, completely changes his perspective on like helping other people he went from being a you know survivor you know trying to survive street rat pretty selfish you know stealing pretty selfish yeah you know. yeah for his own gain right um and you know he went from that to being uh, a very selfless person and that's a huge transformation for anyone to go yeah, through. Yeah, going like, out of his way to help anyone if he can. Yeah, and, you know, Kanan was the guy who did that for him. And, and so, like, to lose him, right? Like, Ezra's, like, taking it so hard. Like, he's just, like, you know, it's like, what? Like, why me again? You know, like, he's just got this, like... I don't think I've ever felt so strongly for a character than I did for Ezra in these last couple episodes. Like, he's, like, it's so, so good. Like, just, um, you know, masterful writing, you know. And, like, I, I once upon a time, like, wasn't a huge Ahsoka fan. And then that that changed. But I've never felt so bad for a character before. Other than Anakin, maybe. But, you know, when he has to say goodbye to his mom like that, like, that's that's always tough to watch. But, uh, but yeah, like, this guy is like, man, like, I just feel so bad for this he kid. You didn't feel bad when Luke went home as that uncle or was- Fried? No, I didn't care. Crispy fried. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Poor I'm, Luke. I'm, I'm kidding. But when you see them play, you you see them play like five, barely five, ten minutes in the movie, and then they're gone, and it's like you almost, it, even the movie kind of glazes over it, and he gets back, and he's like, 
I'm going with you. There's nothing for me here. <laughs> you know the way that Mark Hamill says it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyways. Um, so, yeah. The, the, um, <laughs> so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off with, uh, with some things from, from this first episode from Jedi Knight. Um, the there was a there was a scene which indicated that um, Hera had a brother. Uh, did you catch that? No, I did not actually. Okay. All right. Um, I think it was in regards to her Calicore, but you know we could just skip over that. Was that the idea then that he, that he passed away? That's I why think he's so. on I the Calicore. So. Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Yeah. Um, the creatures on the fall, it's always Loth something. Loth rat, <laughs> Loth bat, Loth wolf, Loth cat, you know. Is there a Loth rat? Oh, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. If they got Loth bats, right? Yeah, like, I mean, There's no way, but anyways. Loth antelope? kind of funny how we spent so hippo. much time on Lothal and just never seen these things before. And now all of a sudden they're like gliding Everywhere. in the city. Oh, and, now, and now they're like, oh yeah, we'll blend in, no problem. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it just works, you know? What's that over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how the stormtroopers even like, they notice it too. And they're like, oh, it's just those loth bats we've been seeing the entire time. Meanwhile, that we've never seen before. As an, as, uh, yeah, as an audience member, you're like, what are you talking about? We've never seen these things. Like, All I could think about was Ewok gliders. Oh yeah, yeah. I was I, like, how did these even work? Like, I was just like blown away. Well, they, like, they got pulled off the ground by Chopper. Yeah, and then and then like, they just float in. Yeah, like a glider. It's engineless, right? It's like engine. Yeah, but like it's it's like co- like it's that windy. Like, <laughs> dude. Kanan <laughs> like, just know. kept force pushing behind him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, see, I could buy that. I could buy like maybe the Jedi using the force to kind of keep it floating a little bit but i don't know i don't know i thought that was one of the cheesiest parts of the episode but i got by it pretty quick you know as soon as canon died i was like oh shoot okay none of that matters anymore yeah uh, true yeah canon gives himself the haircut and the shave um dave filoni put it pretty well yeah it's like a kind of a almost like a this is this is it sort of thing mm-hmm. i guess he knows what that something's about to happen so to mark a transition in his yeah. life. Like yeah. He's stepping into a, a new era. Yeah. A new kind of, yeah, totally. Yeah. What's interesting though is I watched this episode and then Ahsoka episode two came out and they, and in that episode, Sabine also cuts her hair off. Yeah. And the same she, way. It, it's not only the same way, but they do the same practice with the blade. Uh-huh. So they put their hand, hold it sideways first. Yep. And I think it might even be like the same knife. They look very similar. I'm wondering if she is using Kanan's knife to do the same thing. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. It's also, it, it, it almost seems like it could be like a ritual, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a Jedi ritual. It might be. It could be kind of a, a, a ritual of acknowledgement of, you know, a transition of time or something like mm-hmm. that. I don't know. What, yeah, who knows, the, right? Who the, knows? Well, they're saying is like samurai. It's before battle. You you shed right kind of all of your attachments. Right, right. Yeah, that that's yeah. It could be a Jedi thing. Um, let's see here. Hera tells Kanan that she loves him. And they have a moment together on the fuel depot before the pickup, but it ends tragically. And it's the last time that we see Cannon alive before he sacrifices himself. 
and his vision is restored moments before his death. And I like how Dave kind of put it in the Rebels Recon episode that uh, that was a very intentional moment, almost like this moment is like the moment that he gets the most clarity that he's ever had mm-hmm. before he goes out. And they glow blue. Yeah, and well, he's got blue eyes traditionally, but um, I think doesn't he have blue eyes before? But I don't, whatever. Like they, they definitely make an effort to kind of make that color pop, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's really he's kind of seeing everything he needs to know to become one with the Force and save all of his loved ones at the same Hear time. Hear me out. So when Sith are doing like using the dark side of the force and it's flowing through them and they're doing evil deeds, their eyes go red yellow. And bright yellow. Yeah. So it made me wonder, maybe in the moment where a Jedi is doing their most like uh, selfless thing on the opposite side, through the, the light side of the force, really that's cool. why his eyes go blue because he was willing to sacrifice himself. I guess so. I mean... I could see that. Well, we don't see it anywhere theory. else. So no. it's just like super random theory, but maybe it's because they they died before we could see it. I have no idea. Right. Yeah. No, I'm just trying to figure. Uh, yeah, he does have blue eyes, I think. They can't be that bright, though. No. N- well, I don't know. It's animation. They're pretty bright as it is. But uh, like, it's not like this one. It was emphasized a little bit more for sure. So like that's an interesting theory though. I I I I'd welcome that into the canon if that was like a thing, but um yeah, we've never seen a Jedi kind of at their absolute most selfless selfless moment, I guess, in, in mm-hmm. the same way that we have this moment, right? Um the logo ends in the white ash with no music. And uh now we can finally get to the thing that I wanted to talk about for so long now. Mhm. Uh, let's talk about the time that Hera and Cannon have had together for this child event. This is what I wanted to talk about too, because it's annoyed the crap out of me. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, okay. So we have been speculating, right? This entire show. When, at what point did Hera and Cannon ever have a physical moment that Hera was able to bear Cannon's child, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know that Hera has a child. You know, Cannon's the father. She kind so of a, oh, this episode. is the first time that we have like heard from her like the words I love you I'm pretty sure and then in only a, it was only a couple episodes ago not even that many it was maybe even the the last rebels talk episode that where we, they, they that we openly did, kiss where they openly kiss in front of Zeb and Sabine right mm-hmm. so like to me I read that up as and oh I think it was the beginning of season th- th- four. I think it was the beginning of season four that we had um, the Heroes of Mandalore arc, right? And we were speculating about them on the hologram. And I mentioned to you that, like, I think they're already, like, a couple, mm-hmm. but, like, they just don't talk about it. And, like, but... And then you were speculating that they, that they were wanting to... Or that Kanan was wanting to talk about the, their feelings for each other, but mm-hmm. they've never actually, like... They're too busy. Ex- yeah, they're the too war. busy, right. Yeah. So... Does this kind of change your perspective on that moment a little bit? I think it has to because it doesn't make any sense. It annoys me because the show then, these two characters are intimately and physically together Mm -hmm. to the point where she's pregnant. And it is not, there's nothing to tell you that in the show at all. I wonder, I wonder if they're traveling on the backs of those like 
wolves, right? Through the world between. I thought you were going to say Pergil. No, no, no. Through the through the world between world, like the magical tunnel, right? <laughs> like and sneaking like, off. It's like all the lights go out, and Kana like you know taps her on the shoulder. It's like now's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna say they take the wolves to get away from everybody. No, like, no. I brought a blanket. No, it like happened like in that moment. And while uh, everyone's passed out. Yeah, while everyone's passed out, they're, they're, they're like the first two to wake oh up. Like God. quick. <laughs> no, no, now's no. our chance. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Uh it's, it confuses me too. And I don't I'm I'm not opposed to it being part of the story. I'm opposed and annoyed by the fact that it wasn't shown well enough for me to believe it. Yeah. So, do they... No, they, I don't even think it's an issue that they didn't have the time to show it. Because mm-hmm. I think they, they could have fit it in. Showed them, you know, being together. Yeah. You know, holding hands, cuddling, whatever. Trying to be alone. It's it's pretty easy to work in. So, the only excuse I can think of is it is because on Disney XD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But I don't really, really buy that either. No, no. Not to have any been, level of them being together. I think they they're the parents too, right? So it's like it's, it'd be no different than having parents in another show. I think the story was just put off too long, and then it got to the point where it was like, okay, we got to start doing something to hint to the audience that there's something going on. But the it wasn't pregnant. Yeah, and but but then it wasn't strong enough to give us the idea that anything was going on up until right before he dies, and it's like, oh, she just said I love you, and then boom, he's dead, and then and then now all of a sudden you got this kid popping up, like in you know a couple episodes later, it's like what, like yeah, it's just, what it's happened crazy. when? Yeah, right? exactly. Like, what, what happened when is the question. So I mean, it doesn't take that long if you like the, for the jump from, you know, literally they could just get together and make a kid at any point in time yeah it is but it's like that that actual you know part doesn't take very long yeah it's more of the storytelling to get you to the point of that happening in the first place yeah yeah and for (laughs) us audiences to buy it right to buy it as a character choice but because I don't immediately see Kane and be like, hey, let's go to the back room. And that's I, all, really all I have to do is that. I don't, I don't picture Hera kind of making that decision. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just like, to me, I just, she, she I don't know. It just, I don't buy the It doesn't seem like choice. a split second decision, no, right? They, yeah. they, they, they both don't rub off on me as like split second, you know, like backseat material kind of people, right? Like they. they <laughs> They're like the backseat of a car? Yeah. Like, like you know, backseat and they go, oh, we can do it. Right. Seb's not looking. Let's go. No, I feel like they're both very, they'd be like the romantic type. Yeah. And yeah. Like they'd yeah, be, exactly. I feel like it'd be a proper relationship. You know, you date someone for a while, get to know each other, that sort of thing. It doesn't yeah. feel like we kissed and that like 20 minutes later, you're in the bedroom. Right. Which unfortunately with our timeline means That's just what maybe we have 20 to minutes, believe. but like over a few days. Maybe. I mean, I guess. They had some time on the glider before they landed on what fuel But they why is it? Out <laughs> glider, just like soaring above. As you go try world. it out, <laughs> <laughs> just like as they're on the glider, you know, going down to the fuel depot. Oh my gosh! We'll, just, we'll take the back one. Just Zeb looking out the window of the ghost or whatever. Like, Who's that? Uh, <laughs> uh. Did I just see what I think I saw? <laughs> Is that? Never mind. Oh, <laughs> <Whole> new world. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, next episode is uh, Doom on the list of this two-parter. 
and opens with the same um, Ash logo as the last episode that ended. And um, it looks like there's a baby Rancor. Uh, uh, or Sorry. Rancor. Sorry, sorry. In regards to Rook, right? Uh, looks like a baby Rancor, you know? Like, Why does everybody know what a Rancor is? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, they, they make so many ugly jokes at Rook. He's like Gollum. Right. Yeah, he's but like yeah, but he's very gollum actually. Yeah, he's like the Gollum creature of Star Wars. He's like, it's a one-of-a-kind, unique. You know, there's no, oh. other, no other characters like him. Um, he's also got camo. He's got a camo suit on. Mm-hmm. So he was pretty tough yeah. to, to fight. You that know? was cool. Yeah. It was a, there's a name for it, because I, I remember very vividly, we had a Star Wars role-playing game, and a friend of ours was determined to get one of these Yes. It's a biggest mistake in, of my invisibility life. matrix. Is yeah. that right? A holographic disguise matrix. That's the one. Holographic disguise matrix. So you can matrix. blend in and become anybody. Yeah. You wanted to be able to do anything you wanted in the game and never be seen and just basically not play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. So I remember this very vividly. So it's pretty cool to see that in canon. Yeah, it is. It is kind of, it's also a game-breaking item. So if you're running a Star Wars role-playing game, never allow your players to get it. <laughs> Just be invisible all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, okay. So something else about this episode, the giant loth wolf that speaks to Ezra, his name is Doom. Uh, same name as Kanan Jarrus's actual real name last name because it's Kanan Jarrus's real name is Caleb Doom, right? Mm-hmm. So do you think that was foreshadowing because he was doomed? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but this wolf has the same same name, right? And um, he also has Kanan's pauldron symbol on his forehead. So the, the oh, I didn't notice the that. The logo that Kanan wears on his pauldron mm-hmm. is part of the pattern of fur on this wolf's like forehead which is kind oh, of interesting neat. um they, what is that symbol supposed to be did canon just make i it think up? it's i think so i don't know i think it's supposed to be a variation of like sabine's phoenix yeah that's logo. what i always thought it looked like too yeah anyways i just think it was great parallel uh the way that ahsoka describes uh i think at one point later in the series um ezra kind of speaks to Ahsoka about it and she says that that since Ezra is or so, since Kanan is part of the 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 cosmic force now uh his essentially his essence can kind of like live on and and still uh, kind of be present amongst the living in in a in a different kind of means of intent you know if that's she puts it a little better in the series but um i think we're actually gonna probably i can probably pull that up since that's in the world between worlds episode i believe um or the wolves in the door episode it's one of the two we might talk about it in the next one since i think it's it's actually the next one let me find that clip if we can yeah um yeah i'll try and i'll try and find it um so let's see what else uh they they give ezra a stone with some hand symbols on it. They say it's from the Jedi Temple. It's a piece of the Jedi Temple. They say to Ezra that um, knowledge and secrets are at risk in the Jedi Temple. And they say to him, restore past, redeem future. And this is in regards... Wolf talking is so awkward. Yeah, the wolf, the wolf talking is a little awkward, yeah. 
Um, restore past. Restore past. Save future. <laughs> I just I I liked it, but also it was a little cringe. Um, the, the the idea of restoring the past in order to redeem the future, uh, time travel, and we can again we can approach this again. You know, once we get into the world between worlds thing, but um, like, what are your thoughts on this element? You know, making its way into Star Wars. Sorry, the stone. Just the just this idea that restoring the past to redeem the future kind of thing, like. It's interesting because that really gets into the idea of timelines. Yeah, because the Lothwolf is literally talking about the world between worlds. That he's intent to to send Ezra there, right? Yeah, I remember that when the world between between worlds. Let me get into more, I guess, when it shows up. But since we're just kind of touching on here, when that first came out, a lot of people were really upset, and I think if I recall, I was one of them because that just opens up a whole issue worms, of. Yeah progression of time doesn't really mean anything anymore because you can if you can go back and change the past then what really matters right because you Mm -hmm. can just fix it later well i think i think that's the thing i think the fact that it's happened it's always happened like that's sort of the way that the world between worlds works it's like ezra was isn't we're seeing it from ezra like at this point in his life having to do that but sort of from where we came, it's always happened. Yeah. But is there an alternate reality where it didn't originally? Because it's weird because I'm wondering in this case specifically we're talking about the with the wolf, is he telling Ezra to intentionally go and change the past mm-hmm. because maybe that wasn't supposed to happen? Right. And so the current timeline is almost so in Doctor Who when they deal with a lot of time travel stuff changing, right? Mm-hmm. There's in that series, in that lore, there's it's it's like time is more like uh, like a liquid, where there's things can kind of ebb and flow, but at the end it's it's all the same liquid, right? But there's certain points within a, the timeline that cannot change. Yeah, and those are kind of the pillars, mm-hmm. but everything around that which is a lot less meaningful can change, you know, back and forth, whatever. It's kind of irrelevant to the overall history of the, the galaxy or whatever. Yeah. Universe. Yeah. Are they going for something like that? Yeah. I mean, or is it one linear timeline that self corrects? We, yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like we haven't had too much, from Star Wars Rebels, ironically enough, even though this is the show that introduced this whole concept, um, I feel like we'll know more about it now that Ahsoka has reintroduced this place, right? Like, where we only just kind of tail-ended on episode four with, like, her in this place. So I have a strong feeling, like, we're going to go into episode five. This is the one that's going to be in cinemas. Like, we're going to be in the you know, in the action of this, like the lore of this place will be explored a bit more. And not to mention, like Dave has had multiple years to think about this. That's true. So like, I just have a strong feeling like this is going to be a conversation we will revisit at some point in time. Like whenever we talk about this place again down the road, uh, once that show kind of like, you know, if it does end up doing that, like that would be a nice conversation to have. 
Um, but yeah, let's do... Uh, oh, oh, sorry. One more thing. Uh, Kanan is honored on Hera's Calicori. So that was... Uh, what do you think of that? Like Hera basically considers like Hanan like part of the family, right? It makes like, sense. She's gonna bear a child. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, see, here's the thing: Does she know that that's gonna happen? I think so because I think it's this episode. She kind of talks about. What's that? Did I write it down? I felt like she had a line that alluded to the fact that she knew she was pregnant. That she had like something to tell him or whatever. And then something like that didn't get to it or whatever. And yeah, she said, I love you instead. Maybe. That maybe could be that's it. what it is. But it, it, there's something. It's when she's against the, uh, the rock and she kind of like is really mourning Kanan. Mm. She says something there. She wrote it down. I, can I didn't it, write I can, that down. I can try and bring it up. But I did write down. Ezra is sniffed and thinks it's Kanan. <laughs> sniffed. <laughs> I got I wrote down a time code because I thought it was so funny. So we could look that up too. Oh, man. It's like I'll try to recreate it. It's like he's sitting there and he's like he's crying and against a rock and all he hears. He goes, Kanan? <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so hard. <laughs> Where is it in the episode? It said 14 minutes even. 14 minutes even. Okay, all right. <laughs> we got to play that clip. We got to play that. We got to play that. Okay, all right. Here we go. Here we go. Kanan? <laughs> That's amazing, dude. I didn't catch that at all. That's hilarious. <laughs> Why would you think that that's Kanan? <laughs> Play it again. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I got I to hear that again. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I loved it. I love it. That's amazing. Oh, jeez. Just feels sniffing behind you, like Kanan. Like, like how often does Kanan sniff you? How often? Okay, how often does Kanan sniff you? But mind you, this is after he's dead, right? So yeah. It's like okay, like seriously, like even more unlikely of like a, a response. It was like the PTSD from Kanan sniffing him all the time. I know, right? Like it just makes it so much better because it's like, how often did he do this, man? Like, how yeah, often he's did he got come trauma. Up and like, <laughs> You smell good, kid. <laughs> <laughs> you been in the gym? <laughs> oh, man. I'm yeah. glad I wrote that down. <laughs> oh, jeez. Kanan? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Oh, Do you want to actually find the scene where Hera's, like, against the rock or whatever? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what scene is that? I'm just... I didn't write down a timestamp, but it's near the beginning. Is it? Yeah, I remember being near the beginning because the rest of the episode about Ezra. Okay, let me see. While you're looking that up, I forgot to mention the previous episode that there's actually a Easter egg that oh, uh, 
So there's a, a name drop where they're talking to um, Grand Admiral Thrawn about mm-hmm. the TIE Defender program. Yeah. I think he's talking to um, Tarkin. And Tarkin says that Krennic and Stardust looks very promising. So it's like they're trying to pick pick between the two. Even though it's had so many delays and it's taking so long, whatever. Right, right. So it was, yeah, it was a nice little nod. Yeah, because yeah. at this point, Rogue One would have come out because Last Jedi just dropped after this last episode. So, so Ro- yeah, Rogue One at this point had been out for a year. For a so. year, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was a neat little kind of drop there. I thought I just kind of noticed that. No, it was good. That is good. Yeah, I like when they keep you know everything all tied together like that. Totally nice little bow. All right, here's the scene. Here's the scene. Wait so long to tell him. I just. I thought there would be more time. You don't understand. If I had listened to Kanan. He would be alive. He said starting a war was a mistake. And he was right. He was right. And now he's gone. And it's my fault. I was the one who was blind. The Calicori. Kanan found it. In the middle of everything else going on. He knew how much this meant to me. He rescued me and my family history. You're right. No one deserves that honor more than Kanan. No, I think you're right. I think she's referring to the I love you. Yeah. I, I think, think so. there was a gap between watching those two episodes. So I'm like, well, I know she's pregnant, so it's probably that. Right, right. Yeah. Maybe she doesn't know she's pregnant yet. Maybe. Doesn't seem like it. No, it doesn't seem like it. So, like, it must have been very, like, recent before this particular episode came out. And Well, we don't see their child until the flash forward scene. So... It's, I don't know if it's voiced. I can't remember. But it mm. could be that... It's not. Yeah. Then maybe it was just added as an afterthought. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it could have been. Definitely could have been. Could have been like end of the end of the series. Like, you know what? Let's just throw a kid in there. <laughs> <laughs> so so well thought of. Uh, so anyway, okay. Um, Kenan's honored on Hera's Calicori there. That's, that, that was a touching moment. Okay, let's give this thing some pile of points and poodoos and then hit up the last two episodes. Here. It, this is for both episodes together. Yeah. Uh, both episodes together. Uh, so this is season four, episode 11. Sorry. Season four, episode 10, Jedi Knight. Season four, episode 11, Doom. Um, what would you... If they have to be graded separately, you can do that too. I'm going to give them a flat out score. Two and a half Pablo points. 
you know, I'd say these episodes really knocked out of the park. You know, definitely some of the most standard episodes of the series. Yeah, I agree with that. I think... I would, yeah. I would elevate that to being some of the most best episodes that they've done in Star Wars animation as well. Yeah, I could see that. I would say, I don't know if I f- saw the characters being this heartfelt through like all of Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. You could argue maybe season six. Yeah. But that's it. All right. Like being this emoted. Yes. Yeah. See, I think I... I I think I agree with you there. There's probably, I'd say, two and a half bubble points. Pretty. All right. It's pretty, like, perspective for what for their their work here. Yeah. Because the first episode, it's like I guess it does what it needs to, but really it's just them getting to Hera to save her. But then mm-hmm. it's the sacrifice of Kanan that really elevates that episode. Yeah, hundred percent. It raises it from like like a one and a half to to a two and a half. Yeah, yeah. And then the second half, second episode for me is all, like, just mourning this loss. Mm-hmm. Again, not a lot happens, but you you really are able to feel the characters, and that is yeah. so rare for an animated show, let alone an animated show on Disney XD. Yeah. yeah. So I got to give props for that. It's oh, probably not a lot sure. of 12-year-olds that are excited about this episode. No. Hurry up! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Get out your lightsabers! Uh, it's like the first time in this show that I you know, turned to a kid like that. <laughs> <laughs> so boring. I want to see Anakin again. I'm bored. Oh. <laughs> Can't wait to be a parent. Oh, <laughs> All right, let's move on here. Season four, episode twelve, Wolves and a Door, and season four, episode thirteen, A World Between Worlds. Uh, so Wolves in a Door aired on Disney XD February 26, 2018, directed by Dave Filoni and Bosco Ng, written by Dave Filoni. Guest stars Ian McDermott, Malcolm McDowell, and Adrian Wilkinson. Uh, a World Between Worlds was directed by Dave Filoni, Bosco Ng, written by Dave Filoni. Guest stars Ian McDermott, Malcolm McDowell, and Adrian Wilkinson. <laughs> uh, these are the summaries. First one being for Wolves in the Door. With the aid of the Loth Wolves, Ezra and Hera and Sabine, Zeb and Chopper head for that Jedi Temple, which they find being occupied by a mining guild excavation team led by Imperial Minister Hayden, who is very close to penetrating the temple's secrets. By interpreting an unearthed mural depicting the Mortis gods, the father, the son, and the daughter, Ezra uses the Force to bring the images to life which show him the location of the door. However, despite their disguises as Imperial scouts, their presence is found out and the alarm is raised. Ezra escapes through the door into the temple just before he can be captured. And a world between worlds reads, Sabine ended up being questioned by Haydn and is asked to interpret the pictograms that he was found within the Jedi temple. Uh, Thereby learning that the Emperor intends to breach the barriers between life and death as a final stepping stone for controlling the Force within the entire universe. Just after she has deciphered how to close the portal, Sabine is extracted by Hera and Zeb. In the meantime, Ezra wanders within a void between space and time until he is led by a convoy to another portal, which is open to a scene of Ahsoka's final battle against Darth Vader. Just before her imminent demise, Ezra pulls her through the portal into the void, and after realizing that he has a chance to save Kanan as well, 
he makes an attempt, but is dissuaded by Ahsoka from changing fate. But with the opening of the uh, Lothal door, the Emperor is finally able to reach into the void and attack them. Ezra and Ahsoka separate uh, and escape through the portals to which they have come. With Sabine's hint, Ezra is able to seal the uh, access way to the void, which also triggers the collapse of the temple. After a narrow escape, Hera returns to the temple, which is completely vanished. But with what she has learned in the void, Ezra is finally able to overcome his grief over Kanan's death, realizing that if he had pulled Kanan out, he and the others would have perished instead. So with that, this is Rebels Recon. This week, we not only got to see the return of Ahsoka, but of the Emperor as well. I sat down with the cast and crew to talk about what the Emperor was really after in the Jedi Temple, a little more information about the Mortis Gods, the world between worlds, and Ahsoka's fate. Check it out. In this episode, we see the Empire excavating the Jedi Temple. Is this the sort of thing that they do regularly? I don't know if I'd say regularly, but it is an expression of Palpatine's interest in arcane knowledge. What I love about this episode is that it actually exposes something that is not part of the regular rebel mission, and it's not the known entity of what they're doing. What you get a little bit more understanding around is what the Emperor might be after in terms of furthering his own power. Not just about taking over control of the galaxy and ruling with order, but what other devious things he might be wanting to discover that sort of secure him as the ultimate power in the universe. We've long discussed in meetings that the Emperor would be somewhat obsessed with history and the Sith, and that's one of the reasons why he was looking for the temple on Malachor. And one of the things he knows about is this kind of place or a gateway where he can control through time and space different events through the Force. What was it like working with the original Palpatine, Ian McDermott, as a voice actor in this episode? He was incredible. When we did introductions, he is the most charming gentleman. And then we started the record and he just went right into the Emperor. It was like he just switched it on. It was like, whoa. He is fantastic. It was a fun bit. I didn't really ever see that happening. But to hear Ian say Ezra Bridger and Ahsoka Tano was pretty cool. Pretty magic moment in my time here at Star Wars, that's for sure. Because we had already sort of crossed a lot of the same bridges with Obi-Wan and Tarkin and and we'd done enough characters that had appeared in live action that by the time we got to the Emperor, it was easier to figure out what would work and what wouldn't work because we'd done enough characters in that sort of vein. He was one of the more sort of painless designs. Ian McDermott has a very distinctive profile, so as soon as you get that big Hulk nose in and you put in the scary orange eyes and you know that that voice is going to be there, you could almost just do that. Ugly and old is always going to be easier than pretty and young, so no offense to Ian McDermott or anything, but saying the character of the Emperor is fairly ugly and old, mm -hmm. so it makes life easier. The painting on the wall of the temple mm -hmm. is a representation of the Mortis gods seen in the Clone Wars. Can you give us some insight on the Mortis gods for those who need a refresher? The Mortis gods were a concept created by George when we worked on Clone Wars, and he had us do this arc that basically dealt with Anakin being tested by these force wielders, George called them, to see if he was this prophesied 
Messiah's chosen one, which seemed to be a common prophecy among many different force-wielding groups. And they were the first creation by George of somebody other than a Jedi or a Sith that could wield the force and do it on an almost godlike level. So I'd been working on somewhat history of what they are really and where could they have come from and what all that meant back when we did Clone Wars. And then I resurrected it here in Rebels to tie things a bit together and make certain storylines possible. It was a challenge to have the story point where the wall actually comes alive. For the first time on Rebels, we actually did some 2D animation and we integrated into our 3D animation pipeline. We worked with a studio called Ghostbot. We worked closely to make sure that it was seamless, the integration. It's really neat to see this 2D kind of painting come to life. It was sort of a collaboration of figuring how could we make this a little more mystical? How could it not just be a still painting, but like once things start moving and getting up, then it becomes this other world and this sort of enchantment kind of feel. Trying to figure out the logistics of it was something that was definitely new to us, but I think in the end it came out really good. The thing about Mortis was the notion that the Force can take you places. So the Force basically is deeper and more powerful than anyone can ever imagine. Yes, there's that impressive ability to move things with your minds, to do Jedi mind tricks, to fight with a lightsaber, but that is ultimately a real mortal manifestation of right. the Force. There's bigger, deeper things out there. This is one of the most trippy episodes of Rebels. How did Dave explain the whole world between worlds thing to you? The way Dave explained it was actually pretty clear, more clear than the Lothwolves and how they interact with the Force, but it's essentially a place where you can go and access anything. Time is not a concrete thing. Time is flexible. You can go forward, backwards, any which way. This idea was very driven by Filoni and thinking about how we'd utilized the temple before, what was actually happening there, and the way in which all of these things could be connected through the Force. And I think it is very much in some ways in the spirit of the cave on Dagobah. Because we'd sort of got a glimpse of something very similar in earlier seasons, we were able to sort of build on that. We built a relatively small planetarium that has the main paths on it, and then the hope is that by using background paintings, you sell the audience on the idea that this thing just extends. This was a really interesting thing to see come to life. The fact that there were these portals of different areas that you could go back to, and basically we were walking on paths, so like we added like little sort of ripples and things to Ezra's footsteps and stuff as he's going through here, and different times where there's voices going on that he's hearing. Dave really wanted this to feel like this vast empty space. It, it just felt like you were just walking almost like in a snow globe. Imagine if I had little tiny LED lights hanging from string mm -hmm. all around this room and I shut off the lights and you're just walking along among those stars as opposed to space that feels like everything's plastered to the outside. And so that was very important for us to have that. That and these constellations that were always in frame. I always have several small goals. One of the things I wanted to do was find a way to tie together all of the Star Wars films and animated series in one place so that people get this idea that this is all a connected thing, that they're not desperate from each other, that they are inclusive of each other. And I believe that Star Wars has this grandeur to it. I believe the Force has this infinite space to it. So I started seeding in season one this idea of a place where there are stars. When Ezra's in the Jedi Temple and he gets his lightsaber crystal, he is in that world between worlds. He just doesn't know it yet because he's too naive and he's not fully unlocked the next time he's there with Yoda. And Yoda obviously knows about it because Yoda's talking to him through this as some kind of conveyance where they can both exist in this place, but they probably aren't very far from where they are physically. But it doesn't have anything to do with the physical. It has to do with kind of where they 
believe they are and where they are mentally. So finally, when he unlocks all the secrets, he can go into this place and have more of an awareness of what's actually going on. And this is when the full world is revealed to him and then he knows that evil also wants it. Because things like that, that are too good to be true, evil always wants those things mm -hmm. to destroy them and to use them for ill purposes. We finally get the answer to what happened to Ahsoka in this episode. Was this the plan all along or did this come along naturally after telling the story of Ahsoka and Vader's confrontation? I believe that this was always Filoni's intention. So much time and thought had been put into not only the battle between Vader and Ahsoka, but what it would mean for the destiny of that character, that it was always in mind as we were moving forward with subsequent stories. I think also one of the significant things of Ahsoka coming back into the story at this moment is that she also helps teach Ezra this final lesson that Kanan was trying to portray to him. She is very much in that moment a conduit for his understanding, to understand what it means to let go, to understand what it means to live with loss. And if you think about it, losing Kanan is like losing his third parent and how significant that moment is for him and how devastating it is for him to know that he could have the power to be successful and bring him back, but it actually sacrifices everything that they've done before. How did you learn about Ahsoka's fate? Of course, in typical Dave Filoni fashion, he keeps you hanging until the very last minute. Uh -huh. Prior to the episode, he came in and he broke down the entire episode. That's really when I found out what was happening. And we actually recorded this episode and these scenes several times. We did some rewrites and then also even just to emotionally get to the right place. I just really liked this idea of giving fans the completion of that battle and seeing that moment again from a different point of view. The fun thing for me was that I could tell this whole story about her and meeting Ezra and what's going on and then end precisely where I ended before in season two. So you're not really farther ahead than you were with her, but you learned a bit of the story that you didn't know existed. So now you know that she really is descending the staircase in the triangle doorway because you see the triangle doorway behind her and everything is set up for her to hook up with that moment. Whatever happens after, I mean, who knows at this point. Has Dave given you any clues as to what Ahsoka will do now? Dave has given me no clues. I truly do not know where Ahsoka is going or what's next for her, but but to be able to continue Ahsoka's storyline was a dream come true. When she walked away in Clone Wars down those steps, I honestly didn't know if we'd ever see her again. Yeah. So with Rebels, that's just another chapter. There's still so much more to learn about her. So I hope this is not the last chapter. I hope we'll find out more about her. Well, there you go. Um, there Dang. is uh, Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka Tano, coming back to talk about her character one last time in the series. And uh, that's the last time she voiced Ahsoka. Uh, it is, I it so. is. I mean, because the, the next time that she shows up, it's the finale, finale scene, the post, the post, right. almost the, po the epilogue of the series, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a, it's a non speaking role when she shows up, mm. so this is it. And uh, other than that, you know, like sure, her next, her next little gig was episode nine. You know, she had an Ahsoka audio moment there when Rey okay. is lying in, on Exegol, right? But, um, yeah, so big episode here. Uh, we can start with, uh, well, we can start with Wolves in the Door. Uh, I, I wrote down as a note, Riding the Wolves. Um, yeah, because they keep going through these wolf portals. Yeah. And... Uh, the first time we saw them do that, it just blacks out. Yep. When we get there. But this time, uh, it looks like they're in hyperspace. 
Yeah, it does. Which we didn't see the first time. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it kind of... It's interesting how it all sort of comes together a little bit, you know? So they similar to Pergil? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe... Because they do say that hyperspace is like another dimension, right? So, okay. like, maybe... Yeah, maybe, like, that dimension is somewhat consistent with where the Lothwolves go when they travel in the force like i don't i don't really know but there is something mystical there i don't think it's supposed to be answered but there's supposed to be like a parallel there it's funny taylor gray specifically said makes a lot more sense than those wolves (laughs) (laughs) uh the traveling through the planet again with the wolves magic tunnel uh it, it flashes us back through canon and ahsoka moments which are people who have guided ezra before and they all heard voices in the tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. Like they all heard their own, you know, I don't know if they all heard the same people, but they all heard their own people. Revisiting the temple from season two is neat. The Jedi temple on the fall, we see even more sides to it than before, literally, as the artwork on the walls of the anchorites of Mortis appear before Ezra acting as the key to the gateway to open up the world between worlds. And I love how Dave kind of says, we did this in season one, you know, when Ezra gets his lightsaber crystal. And this was... Sorry, you mean he he went into the world between between worlds? Yeah, like this was like where he got his lightsaber crystal from Yoda. Mm -hmm. This was the same place, but he just wasn't able to perceive it in the same... Cognitive self-awareness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, I had no idea that that was in the world between worlds. And then again, as Dave said, when he's talking to Yoda, again, I had no idea that was supposed to be the same place. Mm, yeah. So that's very interesting. It is. Is this a, a Lothal-specific thing? Because we don't see other Jedi finding their crystals doing that. That's the thing, is I think this, well, the gateway to the the world between worlds is on Lothal. But as we know from the most recent Ahsoka episode, she has made her way into that place. I have a theory about that. She's only able to do that because she was ripped out of the world into the world between worlds. So it's like a lingering thing. You you think that she's only there because she was saved again? No, but that's actually a good idea. (laughs) That's possible. I didn't think about that. Yeah. It was Anakin. Anakin. Uh, Varys Hayden, uh, the old guy with the purple cloak. A lot of people might be wondering who he is. He's an advisor to Emperor Palpatine. Um, Minister Varys Hayden is not a Force-sensitive, but is a scholar of Jedi and Sith lore and history. Upon the discovery of the Lothal Jedi Temple, Hayden was charged with leading the excavation and deciphering its mysteries. So... That's who he is, if anyone's wondering. Uh, he Pal- looked like a Sith acolyte, I thought. He did, yeah. He almost Ooh. looks like one one of Palpatine's kind of advisor people. Too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's another one floating around out there with a different name. Uh, Palpatine knows of the Mortis gods. He also reveals Kanan's death has altered the fate of Lothal already. And we see him for one shot as a Force ghost. One shot. He was, his hand was on Hera's shoulder as she was looking over the Imperial encampment, mm-hmm. right? We see him back to his mm. season one look. 
again. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. I almost thought that was like a, a memory of for her. I think it is. Uh, it was portrayed as if he was a force ghost, but I think I think in general, I think it's sort of worth the idea that that perhaps this is just Kanan in the force, like being part of Hera now. You know, mm-hmm. like just kind of being with her, right? Uh, in the same way that when Ray calls upon all the Jedi of the past, you know, I hate to keep up bringing this, bring up this moment, but I feel I like, am all the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like she is calling on all of the Jedi of like you know, like she kind of in that moment she feels them all with her, right? Like through the Force, like she feels them all with her, right? And weirdly, I think like there is something coincidentally in line with that moment with this place. You know, like there is sort of the same idea behind that, that everything's connected, right? It's interesting how that plays directly into the world between worlds. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyways. Are we going to get directly into the world between worlds and the situation it now puts us in? Yeah, for sure. Um, the only thing I other got on this other episode here is uh, opening the gate, we hear the echo of the daughter of Mortis describe themselves as the beginning, the middle, and the end. Uh, the transformation of the art is pretty cool to see, and thanks to Rebels Recon, we know that a 2D animated studio actually helped produce that work, because that was really cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. That was cool. Yeah. Because like, I didn't realize they had never done 2D work before Yeah, guess not. on any of the Lucas arts shows Lucas, yep. Lucas animation not a single one maybe the the old Clone Wars Gandhi stuff maybe but I don't know well that was contracted out through Gandhi Studios yep. so it wasn't LucasArts yeah something I Lucas- know I guess yeah yeah uh, he who controls the temple controls the universe thing is a bit Hold crazy on. to hear I'm not, just just for a quick name drop because I was thinking, what other shows could I think of top of hand that were 3D that had 2D put in them? The first Ice Age. <laughs> the first Ice Age. That's wow. right. Yeah. Because they did the wall paintings, right? The cave right. drawings. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. That's a good, good point. Yeah. Um, okay. World Between Worlds episode. He controls the temple, controls the universe thing. It's a bit crazy to hear. Um but at the same time, it's an underrated story, 1,000%. Uh, it, it is 100% something that Palpatine would would seek, right? Oh, yeah. He have ultimate control. Right. If he had that, he would never, ever lose power because he could just fix it. Right. If the Rebels won, he could just go and change it. Yeah. Nothing would ever matter. It's pretty nuts that this is a center point to the universe, though. I know. This really concerned. When this first came out, it concerned me, and it still concerns me, because it opens the door to having the Marvel problem where people die, but no one's really dead. Right. And that, to me, just kind of ruins any storytelling, because there's never any stakes. (laughs) Well, here's the thing, though. I don't think we'll ever get a story where someone dies and then later they come back and then it's retroactively because of the world between worlds. I think it's being used very cautiously. In the season two finale, we did see Ahsoka walk into a cave and we knew, oh, she lived, but we didn't know how and we didn't know where she'd gone for like two seasons, right? Mm -hmm. Up until this point. And we realized this is what happened. since she went back through the door that she was saved from. Yeah. And went back to that moment, right? So she kind of, 
went into the void for a brief moment and then back out when Vader had kind of walked away already, right? Mm -hmm. So there was this, it's not like, it, it always happened, right? It always happened. It's not like, um, it's not like there was any time Re skipping. Retro. Yeah, there was, there was no later fixing it and trying to make it seem like it was all part of the plan, right? And I know this episode does specifically address that where as soon as Ezra realizes what he can do, his first thought is, I'm going to go save Kanan. Yep. And so he, he goes there and finds... By the way, the fact that if there's infinite doorways and he finds the two he wants within like 10 minutes, mm -hmm. that's pretty dang lucky. It is, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the whole point was for him to learn that Kanan's sacrifice was necessary. And Ahsoka specifically says if Ezra tries to save him, He's going to kill all of them in that moment because it's mm -hmm. Kanan's sacrifice is the reason why they lived. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I liked how Morai, uh, Ahsoka's bird, repre uh, rep represents the daughter in a physical form, um, at least at this point in time, the remaining life force. You know, we were actually talking about this just on the Ahsoka after show. Mm -hmm. So when she's a spirit guide. Yeah. She's like Ahsoka's spirit guide sort of thing. She helps Ezra find the portal to save Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. And uh, Which when is it, also interesting because she would have been one of the three people that created the, the portal to the worlds between worlds in the first place. Yeah, yeah, if they did, right? Which I assume maybe that's probably very likely. Uh, with Ahsoka saying that she owes um, Morai her, her life. Mm -hmm. You know, Ahsoka has skipped over time uh, to this moment when she's pulled into the portal. And uh, it's Pretty neat to see. The Vader-Ahsoka duel is shown to Ezra again from a different perspective as he watches through the portal. And that he saves cool. her. Yeah, he saves her, pulls her out of there in a crazy moment. Um, and, you know, that was super nice to see. We hear voices in the world between worlds from recognizable people across all of the Star Wars saga, across time and space in this place. And I've got a list here. Would you like to hear the cameos? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, we got Freddie Prince Jr. as Kanan Jarrus, Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka Tano, James Earl Jones as Darth Vader, Frank Oz as Yoda, Matt Lanter as Anakin Skywalker, James Arnold Taylor as uh, and Stephen Santon and Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Sam Witwer as the son, Adrian Wilkinson as the daughter, Lloyd Shura as the father, Carrie Fisher as Leia Organa, Lupita Nyong'o as Maz Kanata, Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn, Felicity Jones as Jyn Erso, Donnie Yen as Chirrut Imwe, Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, Daisy Ridley as Rey, and Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron. Um, Some of these people aren't Force users. <laughs> no, no, and they're not. But but it's it's again like the, you know how the for, you know, the Force flows through everybody, and I like how they are included because. It's not that the Jedi are only present in this space to Ezra. It's like it's everybody. It's all of these events happen. All these very, probably every event ever, right? For every single person alive. But, you know, to our perspective, it is the stories that we know from the lore, from the from the saga that, that are made clear to this character. And uh, that's, you know, the most important thing. Um, I do like that it was impossible to save Kanan. Because mm -hmm. then there would be a problem. You know, if you did save Kanan, they would all die. You know, he, and Ezra might just Marty McFly out of there. You know, yeah, that's what right? I was wondering is if he did that, would he vanish? Or yeah. would he make an alternate timeline where he's alive, but that timeline he's dead? But that, that timeline's Kanan is now in their timeline. I would assume so. I would assume so. Um, maybe. 
Uh, Ahsoka promises to find Ezra when she gets back. Uh, we see Palpatine pop up. He's got his alchemist bowl out. He's, you know, impressive. He's able to somehow intercept this moment. I don't know how he knew, but... That's what you know. I was wondering. Is How did he... Did he find somewhere where he could tell there was a link into there? Because there's a sort of important I, point I, of time? I think so. Because... When him and Dooku pull this same sort of stunt on Yoda when Yoda's on Morband, mm-hmm. you know, it, Palpatine also knows what's going on. Like, he is kind of this weirdly all-knowing sort of guy. Yeah, and he's he just, has extremely high force sensitivity because he, oh, off, yeah. he often, like, I sense a disturbance in the force. I sense a disturbance in the force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, which was very, uh, yeah. I, I got a little audio bite to play here one sec. I can reach him. Ezra, Kanan gave his life so that you could live. If he's taken out of this moment, you all die. You don't understand what you're asking me to do. Yes, I do. You can't save your master, and I can't save mine. I'm asking you to let go. Kanan found the moment when he was needed most, and he did what he had to do for everyone. That's the lesson. I didn't see it, but now... Sometimes I wish my life were different. I wish I could see my mom and dad. Why can't things be like they were? We can't stay here. You open the door to this world. Do you know how to close it? Sabine will know. Man, like that moment always gets me a little bit. When he's like, trying to save his master. Yeah, well, when he when he realizes he can't, right? But then also, like, kind of what he says after, and he's like, "I wish my life were different." Like, it's just so like, sad. man, it's like it's so sad. Like, you know, and unlike unlike Anakin, like who sort of gave up a life of slavery in order to become a jedi he wins his freedom and mm-hmm. you know it's a, it's a it's a slightly different story like ezra didn't have a choice like i mean he, he i guess he could have decided not to be a jedi but, but not really he was not. living alone in a tower yeah stealing like what food kind of, to survive right like what kind of life is that right and i guess you could say the same about anakin but he still had his mother and even though he was in slavery like he still he still had family he still had family and he actually walked away from that and he had a purpose to, he was working it was with Wado. he was repairing stuff he was yeah. potentially pod racing right yeah and ezra had nothing right like ezra had nobody and it was just like you know just from from the moment that we meet this kid up until this moment here, like, and having him watch this whole event again, it's like traumatizing for him. And, you know, he's just like, ah, sometimes I wish my life were different. It's like, I don't think I've ever felt more 
bad for this character than I have like watching this episode. And the lesson that he just learned is that there might be a point where he's just going to have to give up his life. Yeah. To save others. Yeah, absolutely. And I and, and I'm, we know that's going to be right around the corner. Yeah, he learns the ultimate lesson through canon in this moment, right? And it's like, that's the lesson. And um, what I love about his last moment with Ezra's last moment, even though we, you know, have this understanding that he's you know, alive out there somewhere, he, the way that he has his arms spread out, kind of doing the force thing, and we'll, we'll get into it in the next Rebels talk, but when he's doing that force thing on the Star Destroyer, the exact same thing as Kane. Holding back the force blast, the you know the big fireball, oh, right? Okay, yeah, exact same. He was motion. literally just doing the same thing. Yeah, he was like the same posture, the same pose, and everything like that. It was mm-hmm. like one for one, right? I was like, wow, that's that's some insane visual poetry right there. Hmm. Um, they kind of rhyme. Yeah, they, yeah, it's like poetry and it rhymes. Um, yeah, Ahsoka promises to find Ezra when she gets back. So that's motive for the Ahsoka show. You know, that's motive for her character. And it's not just Sabine who wants to find Ezra. It's Ahsoka, too. Mm-hmm. And the music in this episode was great. You know, I got to say, the episode, the, this entire episode had one of the best um, among, among a few others. You know, some of the best music, I think, that we've had in the series. But... Um, it did a really good job making you feel the loss oh, in the yeah. morning of Kanan. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um... Gonna give these why I got one for you. Why couldn't Palpatine get through? So he was able to send fire through this portal. I don't even know what he yeah. could see from his perspective. He could like almost his hands. His hands came get through. through. Yeah. So why couldn't he step in? I know we just played a clip and it, it was kind of alluding to once Ezra leaves, the door's shut and then no one can get in again. Right. I think it's very tough for him to get in. I think he's he's trying to break in there and his, and that's why he's trying to get Ezra out of there right because he knows I don't want Ezra out because if because from what we just heard from this clip this audio clip he can only get in while Ezra's in there well I think what he wants to do is pull him towards him so he can grab onto him and then pull himself in or something like that because like at the moment right. he can only barely get his hand in right so I think that's sort of what, what they were going w- with that but Meanwhile, like, he must be in this, like, awful, like, little cold cave or something like that doing all this Sith sorcery stuff. And he's literally sending lightning and stuff into probably what's just nothingness, right? Like, it's just that's, the, yeah, that's the air in front of him. Because, yeah, because Vader is not, it's not like Vader's looking out. It's not like Doctor Strange, right? It's not like we're looking at a portal from the other yeah, side. Yeah, two-sided. It's not a two-sided thing. Because when, no. I think what you're getting at is when Vader and Sok were dueling, they couldn't see Ezra, but Ezra could see them. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And somehow, wherever they go, like the portal kind of evades where they are. It's just he's perceiving them from this other reality, this like other a, dimension. Like an invisible window. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and like through the force, through space and time, he's able to like pull someone out. So like I think... For the Emperor to kind of like have this moment of trying to break into that, you know, that, that must be like insanely hard to do. You know, he's the most powerful Sith in the galaxy and he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's barely able to get his hand in there. So. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, do you think then Palpatine, because he came back in Rise of Skywalker. Yep. Do you think instead of the cloning whatever 
story we got, it would have been better if he used the world between worlds to alter time. That's how he survived. I think what would have been a really good idea is if if they knew that they were going to go that direction with that story. Because when this episode came out, let's not forget, Colin Trevorrow was still writing episode nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what would have been a cool idea is if Palpatine did make it in there, but was being held back somehow from getting too far and still managed to see a portal in which he died. And realizing that there is this inevitable fate in his future starts planning obsessively for the next life. You know, starts planning obsessively for his return. So he saw it coming. It wasn't just an emergency plan. It's because he knew it was going to happen. That's what I think would have been a good idea if they knew that's where they would have taken this character. But I don't... And one of the reasons why I have such strong negative feelings towards episode 9 is because it was such a last minute pulling out of the rear end. How can we save this trilogy? Like... Colin Trevorrow's been, you know, like they went separate ways. They're not going to mm-hmm. use his script. Carrie Fisher's not around to like lead that story, which was initially planned. How do we do it? Right. And they bring back JJ and the plan is, oh, let's just bring back Palpatine. It was the plan all along. You know, it's like, that's easy enough to come up with, but it's like, that's not, I don't, I, I still strongly disagree with the fact that, that was a correct decision for Star Wars. And, uh, you know, it would have been better if it was planned, because then there at least there's some sort of past, present, future thing going on where this makes sense, mm. right? But it only makes sense within the context of that one movie, and it doesn't make sense for any of the continuity going into it. And like, it would have been better if this episode maybe came out at a later time where they could have made they, some relevance to it. Right. And that would have at least saved it a little bit more, right? But as it is, it's a completely separate thing. And to me, it doesn't even feel like the same continuity. Fair enough. In a few ways. But anyway, I love this episode, though. It's such a great... Now I was talking about episode nine, not this thing. But you know, it's just like such a great, such a great episode. Um, got anything last minute to bring up, or should we wrap this up? Pablo points of Pudus. I think we went through all of my notes. Oh, I just thought it was neat that the temple... Like they they escape as it's like collapsing. Oh, and how it goes it, back it, into the ground again. It, yeah, it's just like completely invisible. Yeah. Other than like sort a of, single stone, it buries itself in this. The, the even even all the excavating that the Imperials do to like dig this thing out of the ground again, like it's almost like it all just fixes itself, mm-hmm. resets. Yeah, know? and I love the idea that this temple is kind of somehow alive in the Force in a little bit. You know, it's very. It's got this mystical, you know, kind of concept about it. So, yeah, that was really, really cool to see. Um, and the ending off with Ezra finally accepting Kanan's death and seeing the wolf, you know, like look at him one last time and then move on in the background. It's like in the sunset or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was kind of touching. I was like, oh. It's very touching. Yeah. <laughs> Pablo points of Pudus. What are you going to give this guy? I would say this is another like the, the two part. Uh, so we got it, yeah. we got world we got world. Um, sorry, we got um, wolves and a door, and then we got a world between worlds. This is a weird episode or arc because it's really good storytelling. It adds interesting stuff. I enjoyed watching it. It ties loose ends. 
but it does so by adding a thing that I'm still a little questionable about. Mm, I see. Just because what's funny is <laughs> in the in the Rebel Recon, Dave Filoni talks about the world between worlds and he says that it is something that bad people would want because they can manipulate it to do bad things and take advantage mm-hmm. for themselves. And my worry is a bad writer will do that same thing. <laughs> right. Right. So not only could it be misused in universe, but it could very easily be misused from the storytelling perspective in a very meta way. We get another JJ showing up and using it. Like, <laughs> yes, I mean, like if it that's it now that it exists, anyone can use it. It's, right. It has been used well so far. I am we have yet to see what's gonna happen in Ahsoka. I trust Dave Filoni. But we don't know what happened if some random novel comes out or some mm-hmm. random comic or who knows, right? We don't know where right. it's going. Right. So I, I I have a tough time. I, I like these episodes though, so I'm gonna say if it, okay, let me put this. It wasn't for the it wasn't for my concerns, I would probably give it two and a half. Mm-hmm. But because I'm worried, I'm going to bump it down to 1.9. I'm really worried about that. 1.9. Yeah. Okay. Almost 2. It's still good. It's better than good. It's great. It's almost great. Should I put it lower? No, good, good, good <laughs> is one, point, one, one Pablo point. Great is 2. Excellence is 3. Excelsior. <laughs> That's what Stanley. That's would not say. even Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, that's what Stanley would say. Uh, but yeah, okay, all right. One point nine is pretty good. One point nine is pretty good. Um, I gave the last two episodes two point five. Was it? That's right. That's what I was basing these ones off of. I'm gonna give this. Weirdly enough, I'm. I'm. I think I'm gonna give this two point two five. Just slightly lower, mm-hmm. but I love it. Right? Like it's. 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 It is that riskiness, that risky business. No, I know. I'm worried about it. I've been worried about it since it existed, and I was kind of happy when everyone forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now it's back. It is great, though. I, I, it's a great, it's a great set of episodes. But I am, I am hesitant, and uh, I hope that the live action Ahsoka show uses this correctly. You know? Agreed. Yeah. yeah, agreed. So maybe, maybe if it does use correct, if it blows our minds as to like how awesome this place is for the story. You know, consider myself down for 2.5 Pablo points. Yeah, that's what I was. That's exactly what I yeah, said. All yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're, we're on the same page. We're on the same page. All right. Well, that's it. That's it, folks. Um, we have three more Star Wars Rebels episodes to chat about in a future Rebels Talk part, which will be wrapping up our sub series on the podcast Rebels Talk with part 20. And uh, that's it. Mr. Blake, thank you for coming on and co-hosting this. Thank you for having me. We will catch you in the next one. See you out there. Keep flying. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. And we got a quick message for you from a special friend. Republic forces have deemed Star Wars escape pod as the recommended source for news and entertainment. 
subscribe leave a voicemail and share this show with a brother that's right thank you so much send us a voice recording to the email address swscapepodcast at gmail.com let us know your thoughts on these star wars rebels episode and you can follow us on the socials using the handle at swscapepodcast and uh, with that said uh, our youtube you can find it with the same handle and subscribe to us there never miss an episode by hitting that bell icon and uh, you can uh, catch more rebels talk one more at least in the coming weeks along with our ahsoka after shows may the force be with you guys and we'll see you in the next episode of star wars escape Pod.